0: I don't care. I must know what happens when a crinoid touches human flesh.
1: the universe using a kettle and some string and look at me I'm wearing a vegetable.
0: Hello faithful listener and welcome to A Kettle and Some String where we'll take a random trip through all the Doctor's adventures in time and space. I'm Dave and I'm delighted to be tonight with a good friend of mine Daniel Knight. How you doing Daniel?
1: I'm very good thanks Dave. How are you doing?
0: I'm okay this is obviously take two to the listeners (laughs) who don't know. We just recorded for about 20 minutes and realized it wasn't recording so that that's totally my fault but yes I'm really well thanks. Good. Great to have you here. It's good where's, to be here. Where's the randomizer sent us? What story is the randomizer sent us to look
1: at? Well, the randomizer, randomizer, if I can get my teeth in, has sent us to <laughs> two different places. Uh, first off, we've got a couple of episodes in uh, in the Antarctic, so I've, I've put my yes. thermals on. And then um, four episodes in a, a very um, beautiful country house, stately home of... Um, quite a despotic, mad um, millionaire who's got a a bit of a plant fetish. So so, if (laughs)
0: you
1: you haven't guessed already, we're looking at the Seeds of Doom.
0: Yes, the Seeds of Doom, which I was delighted came up so early in this because it's one of my favourites. I've Mm. not seen it for a few years, so I was delighted to watch this again just the other day for the first time in a long time.
1: I was going to ask, when was the first time you saw it? Being a bit younger than me. did
0: you? I saw it first on the VHS release. On Mm in 94, I think it was.
1: Yeah, same here.
0: And it's got the Colin Howard cover, which is a great cover. I think all his covers were really good for the VHSs, but it's got a really nice cover on it. Mm. The only time prior to that was there's a clip on... A lot of the Toms, I saw the first sort of bits of them on the Tom Baker years tape. Right, yes. It was out in a couple of years earlier. And Mm. the clip for The Seeds of Doom was the cliffhanger to episode five,
1: Mm.
0: where... um, they're all getting attacked by the plants, and then they come in and they rescue them, and we'll get yeah. to that. But obviously, but yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it was the VHS show was the first time I saw it. So it was yeah. you say for yourself, you say?
1: Yeah, safe for myself. Yeah, um, think, yeah. As you say, it was about nineteen ninety four, um, and I. It's one of those stories that I was, would quite happily watch all in one go, even though oh, it's yeah. six episodes.
0: Yeah, I watched it in one hour as well the other day. Mm. As opposed to the other six partners, which are a bit of a slog. Yeah, uh,
1: but as we said, the two and the two part and the four part structure for this works quite really well, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, the Seeds of Doom's production uh, was pretty interesting, as it always is for every Doctor Who. Uh, that they had the fear was originally the ending for season 13, but it ran into script problems, probably Bob Baker and Dave Martin having too many ideas, as they often had. <laughs> so, Robert Banks Stewart was asked to come up with a six or quite late in the day. That even Dougie Canfield was involved in the script. So he didn't have a lot of time to put this one together. And he was living next to Hugh Gardens at the time. So he got the inspiration from the gardens. Mm. And Robert Holmes was the one that suggested a pod in the Arctic. So together they managed to make up this brilliant sex partner that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but there was quite a few... Um, mishaps behind the scenes. I mean, the production designer was ill after designing the first two episodes mm-hmm. and Roger Mully Leach took over. So he had to work off the designs of the a tactic that had already been done. And then when it went back to England, then he could design all the sets there. One of the cast had chicken pox, uh, plain dumb <sighs> bar. Okay, yeah. So we had to take a few weeks off so the production schedule was changed. mm mm-hmm. But ended up with everyone getting paid more, so I think he was quite popular. Uh, <laughs> even though I'm sure Dougie Canfield was tearing his hair out, thinking, "What are we going to do?"
1: Yeah, was also one of the um, one of the other actors was involved in the car accident. I think. Had been, yes, he had a which car was crash. Filming.
0: Yeah, he actually fractured his skull. He, it was pretty serious. Um, it was uh, McStay, the guy who played McStay in the in mm-hmm. Antarctic.
1: Ah, hence the fake mustache, uh, the fake beard. Yeah, he had a fake beard when he yeah. came back. Yeah, yeah. Which is quite fortunate, the otherwise, scars. the
0: makeup, yeah, to cover up the scars. There was also an incident with barking dogs. The sound designer wanted to get a wild track for the dogs barking at each other. And mm. I, think, I think that's in part three or four, I think. And the dog handler got bitten in the foot and had to go to hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it's <was> just random. <laughs> Graham Harper was the first assistant on this. Obviously, mm-hmm. Dougie Canfield was director, yeah. and Graham Harper, who would go on to be a legendary director in his own right was first assistant, and he thought it'd be a good idea to get... Because Dougie Canfield, as we know, was into the army and running things like a military operation. So he thought he'd get military jumpers for the two of them. Unfortunately, though, he got the wrong rank for Dougie Canfield, the lower rank to the one he was wearing, and he got a bit of a ticking off, I believe, for that.
1: Mm, Yeah, he was quite serious, Douglas Canfield, but he he was quite um, inventive, and he would let the actors um you know do if the if the actors had suggestions he would listen to them and go oh well, let's give yeah. it a go yeah
0: and he's one of the best directors i think in the classic series it's just definitely fantastic. yeah the web of fear etc i mean mm. it's list of credits goes on yeah like,
1: it it is very well directed this story i uh watching it before you know it's I was quite surprised how many close-ups there are and it's very well lit as well particularly the scenes um in the Antarctic and there's a scene I think it's in ep- in episode two between Dunbar and Harrison Chase um yeah. and there's a sort of slight suggestion of a, a of a an open fire uh just off camera and there's the sort of it's almost not quite in silhouette but there's they're in the foreground, and in the background, there's a a, a standard lamp on the on the, on a table, and it, it looks it looks very realistic, even though it's done in this in the studio, and it was probably filmed multi camera. It almost looks like it's been sort of done as a single camera production. It looks
0: yes, very much so,
1: very very well thought out. It isn't just a, some other directors who would just sort of you know go for a mid shot or a wide shot and just try and get everybody's reactions. Yeah, um, it is really really well directed.
0: He's very good at getting atmosphere, I think. Mm. It's very atmospheric, this, like his other stories. Um, but then during the production, I was reading that there was a Halloween night shoot. So they were at the, the house, what's Hudson Chase's mansion in the story, and they were exchanging ghost stories, and Dougie Canfield was playing guitar, and Tony Beckley apparently was very funny. And Dougie Canfield said to Tom, play it for real, which Tom Baker enjoyed because he's, he's very serious in this.
1: Very moody, yeah, yes, particularly in um, in the opening in the two, in the two Antarctic episodes. Um, yeah. yeah, he really sells that what is happening is a, a very serious. When I mean, he turns to Stevenson and says, "You know what you've done by you know warming the pod up with the with the ultraviolet lamp could result in ev- in every animal on this planet being destroyed." H- yeah, oh. he's very moody, but also, I. When he's confronting Scorby, when it revered, when you know when when he, they realize that Scorby and Keela are up to no good, he's very facetious. You know when they they when Paul, Scorby pulls a gun on him and they you know they come into the room where I think it's, um not uh, you know, the, the other guy who's who was strangled by the crinoid. um Scorby Scorby tells him to turn round, and he does a complete three hundred and sixty turn. <laughs> yes, which is. <laughs> And then, um, and then when he uh, Scorby says, "Okay, talk," um, Tom says, "Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart had perfect pitch," <laughs> and so he's quite, yeah, he's very facetious with Scorby, almost as if he's trying to sort of see how far he can get without pushing him. But then, then Scorby does, uh, you know, towards the end of episode two, the idea is they they're, they're going to take Sarah Jane to the to the power plant and and leave her there as a as a hostage, and you get Tom screaming Scorby's name yeah. shows how serious the situation is and how also how much the doctor cares for Sarah Jane. That you know the the one person that you know I am not saying he he wouldn't want to try and save Stevenson or any of the others, but you know, he does also introduce Sarah's have you met Miss Smith, my best friend she's my best friend yeah, later in the a episode. It's a great bit. And and the chemistry between Tom and Liz is is second to none. And this story, they're they're great together. Um, I, I think, you know, all those stories that they're in together, they, they work so well together. I, I, they're probably my favourite Doctor and, and companion pairing. I mean, there are others that are wonderful, but I could just watch those two, every, you know, all day.
0: They're yeah, great. I mean, it's a, they've been working by this point two seasons, isn't it? So they, mm-hmm. they know each, how each other works, et cetera. But yeah. Tom's Doctor, I think um, Terence Sticks once said, if there's one dot you could imagine turning to the dark side, it's Tom. And in this, he just he flips on a sixpence, like you say. He can be very, very charming and very mm-hmm. jokey. But then the next minute, he's deadly serious and you would not want to cross him at all. No. He's, he plays it very dangerous, which yeah. is like I think is really good for the Doctor.
1: It's quite interesting that watching the other actors around him, I mean, the, the guy playing Stevenson, Hubert Rees, at one point, he looks terrified of of the doctor. Oh, Never mind the crinoid; he's absolutely it's he. There, there's some really good performances in here. Um, You know, for something that a lot of people write off as a kids' show, the actors are are really putting in very thoughtful performances. I mean, when they're discussing the the crinoid, Hubert Reese is very shifty. With with the before the pod opens, he's like, he, there's almost like this slight greed and ambition it's a plot that of it's a, it's an idea that's sort of running through the story where yeah. these characters are motivated by not by um you know uh, altruistic reasons but you know what we he he tells the other two what we've discovered you know we could make a fortune this is this could be the most amazing discovery and sort of pride and greed are, are very much sort of um motivations for a lot of the characters apart of course from Sarah Jane and and the Doctor um, and it's interesting that all the characters who are motivated by greed they all end up all end up dead so it's quite um quite a moralistic yeah.
0: story that's, that's very true mm. well before transmission of part one the master tape went missing so they actually yeah. were panicking and thought and Philip Hinchcliffe had this idea of what we're going to do that of re-editing part two so that it could go from that point, and I was thinking mm-hmm. about that after I, when I read it, and I thought that could actually work because you could set it up as what I'm getting at is that part one, if it was missing completely, mm-hmm. yeah. the story could still sort of work. You could go in, but you'd be bang into the adventure rather than the build up.
1: Yeah, there's no yeah, there's no sense of the build up and and introduction of the characters. You'd be straight in. Yeah, I suppose it could work, couldn't it? Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, fortunately, they did find it, so they wouldn't. Oh, have thanks. They didn't Thankfully, have to do it. Yes.
0: Because <laughs> yeah, but they actually were panicking and thinking where it, apparently it was mislabeled or something. Somebody in mm-hmm. the BBC must have mislabeled it.
1: It makes you wonder how they could how they, <laughs> yeah, something that like that very very important. Oh, by the way, it's been where is it? I thought you had it. No, I haven't oh, got yeah. it. <laughs>
0: So, The Seeds of Doom was transmitted January to March 1976, and we had Tom Baker as the Doctor, and Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jude-Smith, and the main guest cast in this was Tony Beckley was Harrison Chase, who's this, of course, this millionaire botany wizard sort of person. Yeah, recluse. <laughs> just, yeah. Recluse, yes. Mm. And, um, I've not seen actually the Italian job. Apparently he'd done a lot of big movies and he's in the Italian job amongst others.
1: Yeah, he plays a, a character called um Camp Freddy. Um oh. and uh he's yeah, he's very good in that. Um he he died quite young. I mean he only he died about four years after after um Seeds of Doom. Yeah, um, it wasn't
0: long after it, yeah.
1: But he was quite sort of quite well known for playing villainous characters. Um,
0: we'll get to it in the story, but I think he's absolutely superb in this He looks so demonic at times in this. His eyes are oh my god! It just he's so good in this. Yeah,
1: um, yeah there's there's sort of there's a a, 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 a stillness about him, um, so that when he does lose his temper and you know at the end of towards the end of um, episode four, he sort of shouts, "Scorby, get down bar." It's, almost, that, but... it's like a slight. <laughs> it's, well. it's like the sort of the 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 sort of airs and graces are dropped, and he sort of really gives it a bit of a bit of a welly. I I I made a couple of some notes, and I said that sometimes that he's sort of like a Howard Howard Hughes type recluse, almost childlike in some cases.
0: Yes, yes. But then yeah. he
1: comes across it. There's there's the line in episode three where it, it, it Scorby tells him about the first pod. And he said, "Well, what happened to it?" And he said, "Well, it was blown to smithereens." And and it's there's a sort of, sort of like a spoiled Brad so, "Oh, I could have had two pods." And it's really quite um, it's sort of it's a it's a sort of almost petulance about him that he's quite used to getting yeah, his, his own,
0: own way. way. Definitely, mm. definitely, yeah. sense so that of him. Mm. We've got John Charles, of course, as Scorby, who's his henchman. The... Yeah, and of course, he's most famous, of course, as. Is... All the films and horses, and mm-hmm. Boise, of course.
1: I think he's. I think he's very, very. I think he's great in this, and I sadly, no longer with us. But from when I, I mean, he was on Twitter, and there were quite a few times when he'd mentioned about how people would come up and ask him to sign DVD or the or the book of of the Seat of Doom, and he seemed very proud of it. And I, I'm, I'm rightly so because it is a yeah. really, really good performance.
0: Yeah, I love um, him in this as well. In fact, I think the whole cast is excellent. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really see a weak person in it at all. No, but... no. Um,
1: now everyone's really at, at the top of their game. And, got... and yeah, Chalice oh, is very oh. sinister. Sorry, he's very sinister. But then towards the end, it's almost like, not quite rehabilitated as a goodie, but when, <laughs> when you, you know, when he runs out of the house and you you hear Sarah Jane shouting at him just no don't go don't go because you're going to end up dying and and he does end up dying of course, of course. um but but it's almost like you are you're you're shouting you're 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 there almost no don't go you know listen to the doctor listen to Sarah don't don't do it um and whether that's because it's John Chalice and we know him as as Boise um I don't know, but towards the end you, you're almost, he's almost not quite a goodie, but he's almost you're almost on his side. Um, yeah, yeah, so I think
0: that's a, a good actor that does that, is able to mm. take a role like that and then make, him, make it sympathetic by the yeah. end, yeah. even though we know he's a bad one.
1: Mm. And he had quite a reputation for playing sort of villainous, sort of tough guys um, <laughs> yes. on the screen. Things like the Sweeney, I think he would have been I think, I think he was cast and uh, I think Douglas Canfield cast him as well. And if you watch some of the early episodes of Fools and Horses where, you know, before you get Marlene and he's quite, um, he's quite sinister. Uh, Those early episodes of Boise, he's quite sinister and sort of quite, you know, menacing sort of like sort of Cockney villain. And it's only later when you get when you get to see Marlene and you get to realise that this, this, um, you know, sort of slightly sinister character is actually quite a twit. And has a, an overbearing wife, and <laughs> who's possibly, you know, having a bit uh, a bit on the side with Delboy Boy behind his back, and
0: yeah, is everyone in the, with Marlene? But... <laughs> <laughs> Amongst the, the rest of the cast, we've got Kevin Gilbert as Dunbar, who's works at the World Ecology Bureau. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, he was big in Crossroads. I found out. He's... But
1: oh, okay, I've I've not I've not I, I remember Crossroads, and. Every time I go on Facebook, there's um an advert for all. There's a massive, I think it's about ninety discs of all the existing episodes. Of oh, oh, I
0: saw somebody, somebody. was it our own side Heart that's got that, or is it somebody we knew? I think so. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know if you follow Matthew Sweet on on Twitter. He's 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 got it, and he's going through all the episodes as well, which is good because then we don't have to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought I also pick out Sylvia Coleridge as mm-hmm. Amelia Ducat who is just yeah. wonderful and mm-hmm. she on her IMDB page she's she was in everything it seemed going way yeah. back to the 30s and 40s uh, mm-hmm. just and uh, I just love her um she's a, yeah
1: it. it's quite a nice um character and it, and it brings a little bit of light to what is quite a, a a dark and violent and serious production yeah um that she's she's very much written as the light relief um I, I also she also did she's an episode in an episode of The Avengers um oh, okay. called um The Girl from Auntie, which also has um Liz Fraser and Bernard Cribbins in. And that's it's quite a really funny. She plays she plays an auntie, but not not she again, she's sort of quite cast as the dotty late dotty old lady. Um yes. yeah. she's also in an episode of Blake Seven. I don't know if you've seen um the Series B episode, Gambit. She plays a croupier with a sort of slight, sort of um, Germanic accent. I think she might be based on Marlena Dietrich. I'm not sure. But um, she's um, wearing fish knight, fish, fishnet tights and sort of like a <laughs> croupier's uniform and has to be seen to be believed.
0: I could just imagine. I'm one of the few Doctor Who fans, I'm sorry, that hasn't really seen Blake Seven. I, I don't know. I think I caught... Nearly an episode's worth, it just wasn't for me. I just, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, but I know I'm in the minority when it comes to Doctor Who fans, Blake Seven, we usually <laughs> interconnect, you know.
1: Yes, yeah, <laughs> mainly because it's the same, much it's the of same, same cast, cast <laughs> same writers, same directors, same designers, and costume, do, and same Dudley Simpson as well, the same music, musician yeah. as well. Yeah.
0: So we'll just go right into part one starts mm-hmm. in Antarctica. Where two scientists, Moberly and Winlet, discover a pod in the ice, and Stevenson, a botanist, examines it. Now, I think the music is superb, and it's a great setup with the you see model shots and you see the uh, the icebergs mm-hmm. and everything. It just sets the scene brilliantly, and I think the lab set is superb. Actually, yeah, it? It,
1: it looks quite realistic in terms of it's quite sort of small and contained, and the yeah. the tunnels are quite good. You could be pedantic and say. Possibly the polystyrene snow is a little bit obvious, but if you watch other productions around that time, that's the that's what that's the TV and film method for snow. Um, oh. I think there's an episode of um, Space 1999 where they're on a planet and it's snow and it you basically and it's and they're covered in polystyrene as well. So um, yeah, it's not just snow. They do on the the exteriors. I think they went to a um, the, the traditional um BBC quarry and, and sprayed um foam all over it to try and make it sort of look snowy. Um yeah. And you and again you could be a, you could be fussy and go, well, you know, it's it looks like a, a a gravel bit, you know, covered with 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 shaving foam or whatever it is. But no, it for the scenes it, it does work. It does look good. And you know, it's so well directed you don't really you're not really bothered. I and mean, there's some you the the effects work with the CSO. You see, um there's there's one scene in Thinking Part Two where the doctor and Sarah and Stevenson are looking down towards where the the hut is, and yes, because yeah. you and it's if they and they've got the snow on top of the on in front of the actors or sort of superimposed, uh-huh. and they're mm-hmm. in the background, and it it works. It's it's fine. It it it's. It's of its time, but it, it works quite well, I think. Yeah, I, th- I
0: think it looked absolutely fine. How did they think it would fake at all? And I think on the models they use salt to, to simulate yes. snow.
1: Yeah, again, that's that's um, uh, quite an industry for for um, miniatures. I remember yeah. there's a documentary on on a Majesty Secret Service and the guy who did that. Again, when there's a, a scene of, of model shots, and I think they they use salt on that because it's got the right sort of texture and, and colour of course so yeah yeah. again that's sort of like an industry standard
0: so the doctor is briefed by Dunbar at the World Ecology Bureau about this pod and he's going to go there because he says he's got his toothbrush <clears> and, <throat> that, and he thinks it's dangerous he seems to recognise the pod and I love yeah. how he's played his yo-yo yes I again he, it seems to disappear after the first couple of years of Tom it's just yeah after Hinchcliffe time I can't quite remember it ever
1: I don't think it does no no, he's um again, it's you could say it's sort of slightly slightly facetious, but he's on he's he's in total control of the, the scene. Yes. Um and I love the fact that after he's gone, um, you know, uh Dunbar f- phones up Sir Colin and says, Are you sure he's quite sane? <laughs> quite sort of like a standard um reaction to, to the doctor, to the particularly doctor, the fourth yeah. doctor.
0: And then I've got to bring up Stevenson at this point. So Stevenson's been putting ultraviolet light on this pod and it's growing. And he's scared mm-hmm. because he knows it's growing. Mm. But how silly is he? He says it's ours and it's like, Are you mad? You don't know what <laughs> what's gonna happen here? But as you said earlier, he has this sort of it's our discovery, it's ours. Yeah. He's been really foolish, isn't he? <laughs>
1: Well, he's not the first misguided scientist in Doctor Who, is he? I mean, no, and he isn't going to be the last. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, he, you know, he, he the character does pay with his life because of what he does. In fact, yeah, all three of them die, don't they? In the in the um, in the Antarctic scenes, yeah, they, they
0: all uh, make mm. her a maker in the Antarctic. Mm. Yeah. So Dunbar goes to the millionaire Harrison Chase, who's obsessive about protecting plant life, and has the rarest collection of world plants, and tells him where the pod is. I love how uh, Matt Harrison, the first time we see him, and he's got the master-like gloves on, mm-hmm. and this brilliant suit. <laughs> he's, a, he's indoors, and he even does things like, you know, open, he does a tap, I think, at one point, and reads documents, everything. He's wearing these gloves indoors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it used to be a 70s thing where people liked wearing gloves. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I, I yeah. I like you say. It's the sort of villains have have gloves and sort of black gloves to show their sort of um, sinister nature. But also, it, you to, going back to the sort of Howard Hughes idea of him being a bit of a recluse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of getting away. From, you know, not wanting to touch germs, or but also not maybe thinking. You know, he's got to have um, you know his gloves on so he can protect his plants as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't think of that. And he says things like, what are you doing about Bonsai? <laughs> yes. He just As I said earlier from the start, his eyes are just look so evil at times. He's obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, this obsessed quality about him. So Scorby's summoned at this point. John Chalice, Scorby. He's henchman. And him and Keillor, who's a scientist, are told to go get the pod, essentially. So they're set on this mission to get the pod.
1: And then it all yeah. starts
0: to go wrong, unfortunately, in the Antarctic, because Winlet falls asleep. I mean, how silly is this? It's, why, why on earth are you sleeping beside this pod you know nothing about? I don't yeah. know. With your, with your sleeve rolled up. <laughs> with your Just sleeve to, you rolled know. up. And he gets infected by the pod, because it opens and a big tendril comes out, which I think looks really good. And the mm-hmm. tendril comes out and, Um yeah, And the others at the, the base find he's turned green. And the Doctor and Sarah then arrive, the doctor's in a normal coat because of course he doesn't feel the cold as much as us humans do
1: no i like that i like the idea of the doctor sort of walking around um you know there's liz looking like um uh you know eskimo now with a sort of full full um yes um f- fur coat and and hat and gloves and um although at one point the, the the coat isn't really done up so i'm kind of thinking i'm not sure that would really protect you from antarctic temperatures but there we go.
0: No, I do like the bit where um, they say to him, we expected an older man. And he says, I'm only 749.
1: Yes. <laughs> and then Sarah introduces herself as the young doctor's assistant. As
0: the young doctor's assistant. Yeah. So obviously the doctor asks, how's the pod opened, et cetera, and This, I, I mean, I just don't like this character of Stevenson at all. He takes no responsibility for his action whatsoever. He says, mm. well, that could be my fault. Could be your fault. You, <laughs> you were so stupid. Mm. And it, it's totally your fault. Mm. But he takes no responsibility. He just sort of says, well, could have been me. Sorry. Yeah. I just don't like the character. I just think, oh, come on. What are you doing? Uh, and is contacted by radio from the South Bend base, which must be the next base, perhaps, to see that the medical team has had to turn back due to the weather. And the doctor, meanwhile, unerfs oh, a second pod because he's got an idea that it's a creature called a crinoid. hmm and he knew there was two pods, so there's another pod that's put in the freezer. And he thinks that winlet has been infected by this crinoid. And this is a great speech. He, he 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 seems to get lost in himself when he's talking about what the crinoid does, about the plants become the animals, and basically it's the, yeah, end, the end of the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, he has that sort of... He's looking off into the middle distance as he's telling Sarah all about it, isn't he? He's sort of... Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I just think it's a great twist that there's a second pod. So we thought, OK, we're just going to find out what's happened with this first pod, but there's actually a second one, mm-hmm. which might explain, obviously, and does explain why it's six parts. <laughs> yeah. No what they do. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know, would they have, would, uh, yeah, the Radio Times, they would have said it's a six-part story or would have been, you know...
0: I think so, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not like sort of the William Hartnell era where every story's got its individual episode num- uh, title. So well, you're not sure whether this, this one, is, yeah. whether this episode of the story is going to be four parts or six parts or 12 parts. Yeah.
0: So a plane lands and Scorby and Keeler are helped into the base, claiming that they got lost. Mm. Got lost and had in Antarctica. Um, and the doctor then says and suggests that they amputate its arm to try and slow down the infection. So this was the part where we get, you must help yourselves. And that is really... It's
1: quite, it sounds quite callous, doesn't it, really? It does. You, you think the doctor would try and do do his best? To, I wonder if other doctors would say the same.
0: I was thinking exactly the same thing. I think you can imagine if it was David Tennant's doctor, for example, he would be right. Okay, we've got it, and he would be in there helping mm. and trying everything yeah. he could. Uh, but Tom just sort of says, "No, I'm not getting involved in this. You've mm. got to do it yourself." Which is again this alien quality about Tom that's just it's just quite unique actually.
1: Yeah, it it was it. I think Philip Hinchcliffe said it was sort of Olympian detachment, um, yeah. and um, yeah, there's a it it's it's to convey that he is an alien, and it and I think Liz Sladen once said that if you if you compare John Pertwee and Tom Baker, sometimes John's Doctor's reaction would be quite um, human, whereas Tom would sort of you go that sort of extra mile to, to convey the, the doctor's alienness. So for example, yeah. when he's saying about the 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 Winlet's blood is turning into vegetable soup, he's almost got a smile on his face.
0: Yeah, it's and almost to, a script. And
1: to, and to describe it as vegetable soup sounds so um uh, again, sort of talking about the word keep saying the word facetious, but it's it's how it's how Tom reacts to something, some things. Um like in the Ark in space, when he says, "Well, of course, they're going to pump the oxygen out because the Weyrun don't need oxygen." And again, he's got a slight smile on his face. How he has that sort of to realize what the villains, what or, or you know, the seriousness of the situation, and 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 say it, and and but that also helps to sell how serious the situation is, Um and how how you know how how dangerous that you know you know how how much danger they're in.
0: Yeah, he's just got this. It's a quality that is just... Yeah. I mean, Tom in real life, as we know, is an eccentric man. So, yeah, it's just a very strange reaction, but he's so watchable mm. for that very reason.
1: Yeah.
0: And then we get to the cliffhanger, the first cliffhanger of the story, where Moberly goes to set up because he's agreed to amputate the arm. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. Winlet's out of bed now, attacks him and kills him. And, that's the, and it's a really violent death too, in the episode. He strangles him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, at the start of episode two, you when you see um Winlet sort of you know, heading out towards the base, at one point he's walking across and then he suddenly turns and looks into camera. Yeah. And it's it's a real if I, I would imagine if the that would have put the kids behind the sofa. I mean, it's quite unnerving as an adult to watch. Um but yeah, I can imagine my two children who my two eldest children children who are sat on the stairs. And uh-huh. should really be in bed. Go to bed, boys. Um, <laughs> um Yeah, they might. I think they I might have to wait until they're a little bit older before they watch this one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's quite a few bits in this that I'm, I'm not surprised where, he might, where he, uh, Mary Whitehouse was. Mm. For all her faults, she she was correct on some occasions. I think
1: she had a point. Yeah, yeah. I think she described there's a, a, a quote that she said, uh, you know, strangulation by dis- by obscene vegetable matter in this episode. But yeah. ironically, when when it was it was released on 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 video, it was a U.
0: Yeah, which is just bizarre. It's...
1: Yeah, not a PG, but there we go. Yeah.
0: So the start start of part two is that Scorby tells Keeler that he intends to kill everyone on the base and mm. take the pod mm. and call it another lost expedition. So yeah. he's not taking any prisoners here. He's just he's got his orders and he's going to take carry them out to the letter. Mm. No witnesses. And Keeler, Keeler's like a little mouse in this whole thing, isn't he? I mean, he's just—he'd he, rather not be there. <laughs>
1: yeah, he's—I—I I, again, you said there's no bad performances in this, and I—I I, Mark Jones who plays Keeler makes some very interesting choices. He um, does, yes, as as you know, to convey his sort of, you know, nervousness and feeling of of sort of helplessness against Scorby's sort of quite quite nasty streak. Um. So he's very convincing as 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 a, a very sort of nervous, like you say, he's, he's like a mouse, and he sort of <laughs> he at one point oh. he shouts, "What are you doing?" And then suddenly realizes he's sort of, "Oh no, I shouldn't shout!" I shouldn't shout. Um, and then when he goes to tie up Stevenson, um, he actually says, "Oh, excuse me," um, and it, it's really quite. And I, I don't know whether at that sort of thing was in the script or whether it's a sort of a bit of character work that they sort of he and Douglas Canfield sort of worked out between the two of them. But it makes again, it makes um, Keeler a, a, a quite an interesting character um, yeah, and a fun great, character yeah. to watch. And I think Mark Jones plays him really, really well.
0: I agree. he's it's got some. It's one of these characters where in a lesser actor it could have been very forgettable, really. And and also but, a bit silly as well, yeah. Yes, but he, he makes a lot of interesting decisions. Mm. So the doctor tells Stevenson that Moberly no longer exists as he's become a crinoid. I mean, this is the bit where he's whenever anyone says Winlet, he goes Winlet, and he's very mm. strict and he's yeah. trying to and he's trying to stress them. Look, he's no, mm. he's dead. As far as you know him, he's dead. He's he's now turning into this creature. And the crinoids now went outside, and both of them with Sarah go out after him. Yeah. Love Sarah's boots.
1: It's, she's got a quite good outfit for the. It's a good outfit the, for the both stories, happened. yeah, for both parts of the story. Yes.
0: So Dunbar informs Chase that there's been an infection at the base, and Chase gives him his payment for his information. Mm. And then we find out, of course, therefore that Dunbar's motivated by, motivated by money, as he's annoyed that others have got promotion over him for years. So yeah. the other good thing in the story is that all the characters, good or bad, have got a so They've got a motivation.
1: Yes. Because
0: there yeah. and you know why are they angry we don't know mm-hmm. um but chase is really cold he says i'll get that pod don't want you worry you know i think he says i'll get it no problem mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's in another good suit yeah like the traditional
1: traditional 70s wide lapels
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah yeah
1: um
0: and the doctor and sarah and stevenson search the generator plant at the base but they go back as Winlet isn't there. And Mm. again, we get another terrifying Uh, description.
1: It's not Winlet, it's the
0: crinoid. Oh, sorry, yeah, (laughs) absolutely, yeah. Sorry. Right? (laughs) Yes, you're absolutely absolutely right. (laughs) And again, the Doctor gives another terrifying sort of description of the crinoid. It's just, yeah, it's it's just a horrible creature, this. (laughs) Um, Scorpion (laughs) Keeler then discover Moberly's corpse. And when the Doctor and Sarah return, to the base, they tie them up. It's winter part three. So the South Bend team finds Sarah and the doctor. And I was thinking, how is she not frostbitten?
1: Yeah, exactly. Her, Her coat's wide open and she's just lying there. And yeah, she's been there possibly for several hours unconscious. And yeah, perfectly both of them perfectly well. I mean, obviously, the Doctor doesn't feel the cold. Um, <laughs> no. But he has... It is quite distracting, that bit of polystyrene that's up his nose. <laughs> Sorry.
0: The, the bit um, that was really, like, it made me laugh a bit was in a later episode, even Chase says, not a bit of frostbite on her.
1: Mm. Even mm. he's...
0: Is, is that a in joke?
1: <laughs> Possibly, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah.
0: But, yes, yeah, she's the, not got any frostbite mm. at all.
1: The bitch. guy who plays the Doctor, who comes and rescues them is yes, um, um, Ian Fairburn, who yes, Ian Fairburn. One of, is one of um Douglas Canfield's sort of repertory company. He, he he cast him in Inferno and in um uh The Invasion. Um he plays the is it Gregory the scientist in the invasion who, who's forms one of Tobias Fawn's sort of blackies and then oh. in Inferno he plays the guy um, on top
0: of the the infected scientist, doesn't he? On top yeah, of the, the
1: scientist whose name I can't remember. Ah, he looks really not that. It's really oh yeah, with the green yeah, really thing. <laughs> makes yeah. all
0: that noise and all that. Mm. Yeah, that is he, yeah yeah. yeah that's him. Yeah right, yeah
1: that's him. Yeah.
0: And Scorpion Keeler presents Chase with the pod, and Hargreaves we meet for the first time now. This guy, I, I was laughing the whole way through. I just think he's wonderful. And he turns up in the Twin Dilemma, courses course, as a similar sort of role.
1: That's right, yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, but he's just brilliant. He introduces uh, Dunbar, who's came back, to tell them that the Doctor and Sarah are still alive and he didn't kill them. And meanwhile, the Doctor and Sarah meet Sir Colin Thackeray mm-hmm. and Dunbar at the World Ecology Bureau.
1: Yeah.
0: And the Doctor believes that Scobie working for somebody else and it was leaked from this bureau. So mm-hmm. he knows there's a leak somewhere.
1: That's that's a great scene. And I can just imagine uh, uh, talking about, you know, Douglas Canfield being a good sort of um, uh, actors director and giving actors the opportunity to sort of suggest things. I can imagine Tom saying to to Douglas, tell you what, tell you what, Dougie, why don't I have the chair on my head? And then (laughs) I carry it across the room and then I put it down to go and sit down and then I don't and then I don't bother to sit on it. I go as soon as I put it down on the floor and go to sit on it, I stand up again. Yeah, it's I noticed
0: that as well. It's just it, bit, and I, it's a, I wonder yeah. if
1: Tom—that's a bit of business that Tom's come up with—and Liz as well. Um, you know, she sort of tries, and you know, she tells the doctor to keep calm, and then she loses her rag and says, "Look, we were nearly killed." And and yeah. Tom's got like, like, keep calm, keep calm, keep calm. Um, it, yeah, it's it's a great little scene between the two of them, um, culminating in in uh, in the doctor telling that you know everything, everything, everything's in danger. Including your pension, Sir including Colin.
0: Your pension, yeah. Mm.
1: So, um, so Colin Thackeray has played, um, I think it's Michael Billington. I think it's the name of the actor, um, who, you you may have seen as the prison governor in Porridge. Is he? Um, yeah. What's... I think his name is Michael Billington, or is it my? Oh, yeah, Michael.
0: Wait, where's Billing- prison guard? Uh,
1: um, not the, not the. Um, he plays the prison governor.
0: Oh, so he does? Yes. Yeah,
1: um, I can't remember the name of the, the of, of his character. No, yes, it's not yes, Michael Billington. Yeah. yeah, it's not Michael Billington. It is somebody else. I, sh- oh, I should have done my research. Uh, <laughs> no, Michael Barrington. Great. Barrington. I got the I got the Michael bit right. Yeah, Michael Barrington, who who's um, <laughs> well known for play. Yeah, the the and he's he's also. Um, in a couple of other things. Like he he he's in, he pops up in an episode of the Avengers as well, um, but okay.
0: uh, uh, yeah, I it, totally it, never sure. got that one. But yeah, yes, he's the guy. He's the governor. You're right. Mm. You,
1: you know the, where the Doctor's coming from, and and gives him a bit of a you know a lead, and 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 survives the end. Survives the end. Oh, again, sorry, another spoiler.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a bit isn't there later on? I think in part five with. Uh... Our unit man who isn't the brigadier is Colonel Fackery or Colonel, Sergeant, Col- Sergeant Fackery or is it Colonel Fackery? I can't remember. They have a little joke about, ah, it's the end of the world, really? And then the doctor yes. uses the evidence, but he immediately says, yeah, you've made your point mm. and backs him. So they leave in a car, the doctor and Sarah, to go mm-hmm. to the Botanic Institute. But unfortunately for them, the chauffeur is working for Chase and drives him to a quarry. Now, he's working for Chase, but... As we find out, it was Dunbar that made the co- a call saying it's taken care of. Yeah. So is it Dunbar that's hired this guy working for Chase? In collusion anyway. I
1: wonder if that scene would work better if it was Chase talking to Dunbar. I don't know. But then, yeah, it, yeah I don't know. It, it It's... It... It's a, it only sort of sticks out if you if you've watched it loads of times. I don't think I don't think <laughs> like us Doctor like <laughs> like Who fans, we pick up on these things. Joe Public never clocks a damn thing. Um, uh, it's sort of yeah. You might not have noticed it if you just watched it on, on the on transmission, but yeah, it's it it sort of helps to to give Dunbar a bit more sort of.
0: But as so you see it doesn't kill anyone.
1: No. And again, I mean, it's it's self-defence. He's he's being very protective of, of Sarah. Oh, Sarah, yeah. Um, and uh, although I I don't understand, I've never heard anyone being called Cloth Eyes. Cloth Ears, yes, but Cloth Eyes never. But it doesn't <laughs> matter, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I guess he could have used, he, he's obviously forgotten the Benushi Nakaido one mm-hmm. finger trick by now. Yeah. He's, a, he's a new doctor. Now I'll just punch him. But it's so, <laughs> just your
1: Sorry, Tom did say he wanted it to be a bit more violent. He would, he would be, he <laughs> would want it to be. He would want. He always wanted the show to be more violent, but on as he would say, on an upper, operatic scale. I don't know how you you can be violent on an operatic scale, but well, I think it sort of gives him a bit of a maybe. Yeah, I, it's sort of. I think he's enjoying the not enjoying the violence, but he's 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 having fun playing this. Um, oh in yeah, this story. Yeah.
0: But Dunbar, I mean, he he had a conscience when he heard that the base was blown up and went to chase and said, of course, Mm. I can't believe you went that far. But here he is, a couple of scenes later, in on they'll be taken care of. So he's he's happy for them to get bumped off by the chauffeur. But yeah, I find that interesting. I thought, well, where's your morals? Yeah. And then we have the great bit that we've all been looking forward to. They find a painting in the book by Amelia Ducat, mm. and find out from her that Harrison Chase bought the painting but didn't pay. Her. And this scene is just oh, she's just brilliant, isn't she? She's, just... she's
1: yeah. <laughs> it's it's very much as I said earlier, sort of a bit of a respite from all the violence and and grimness. Yeah. Um, and a sort of quite an eccentric character that you get, you you don't get in the Hinchcliffe era, but you do get later on in. The William in the Graham Williams era, with with characters like um you know Mrs Tyler in Image of the Fendal and of course yeah. Professor uh, Professor Rumford in um in the Stones of Blood, and um you know like those two actresses, I think Tom enjoys working with Syl- Sylvia Coldridge and um and I imagine Liz Slayton would because it would have been she's the only other female in the cast. Um that's,
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah.
1: If you know if the Hinchcliffe era has got a failing, it's <laughs> Doesn't really represent, you know, not not many female characters. Um, no, there's not, no. In in the story, in in this in the era, um, and there are a lot of stories where, in fact, Liz Slade is the only the only female character. And then in the Deadly Assassin, you get no female characters support at all, apart from um, one computer voice. But um, yeah, and
0: a lot of the villains when they do turn up in the Hitchcliffe era are villains. <sighs> God, our names went out of my mind in Robot. Um, Miss
1: Winters, Miss yes. Winters, and yeah. mm-hmm.
0: um, the nurse of course and Terry Igons and yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, unless they're villains and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of villains in the Williams era as well, which is and we love them, but yeah, there's not many female characters full stop that no. just aren't villains. No, <laughs> and you I, get, I mean
1: you, you you do get Eldrad in um in the Hand Eldrad, of Fear, yeah. But she's only female because she bases, is to, to you know, to reconstruct herself, she bases herself on the first hu- first human character she meets, and that's Sarah. That's and Sarah, then when yeah. she's regenerated, she regenerates back into a man. Um, but there we go. And and Judith Paris turns into Shousey Stephen Thorne.
0: <laughs> yeah, which I think uh, is uh, to the story's detriment, but that's another story. That's yes. <laughs> But yeah, the, I, he never paid me, and she has the the, the little banter, they have the little dialogue about the car boot. Yes, the car is a material. And yes, it's like
1: it's sort of you know, um, Lady Bracknell sort of a handbag There's a car boot. Ba- yes, a car boot. <laughs> in- <clears throat> Interestingly, in the book, um, which was um, in the novelization, which was um, written by um, Philip Pinchcliffe, she's only in, she only has that scene. Um, oh, he cut that out. Yeah, he cuts. She have you have the scene uh, where she, where they go to meet uh, Miss um, Dukar but her scenes in the in the later episodes are are completely cut. And I think they were going to repeat Seat of Doom as well, and Philip Hinchcliffe was going to prepare a, a sort of like an edit to edit it down to ninety minutes. And again, I think most of Amelia Dukar's scenes were 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 cut out. Would have been cut All out of right. the repeat. But I I don't think <clears throat> I don't think it's anything against the actress or uh, you know I think it's just a case of her her scenes aren't really that important in terms of the narrative structure they just give a little bit a yeah. nice bit of character um and there's a wonderful scene which we we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in episode 5 with with her and Sir Colin
0: yeah uh she's a lovely character mm. so that the doctor takes the car drives it chases a state they're captured by Scorby and taken to Chase, and that's that scene with she's my best friend, yeah, um, which is lovely. And the house, and we've we've talked about that earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, so Keeler, our nervous Keeler scientist man, discovers the pod is grown and mm-hmm. Chase shows the Doctor Series greenhouse playing the music. So we go into the green cathedral, and Chase is just totally lost, isn't he, into this music and. Um, yeah, this is very much in his own little world. This is another, this is the, one of the brilliant moments with Hargreaves. He comes in and he says, something that's happening to that pod. <laughs> just so matter of fact. Yeah. Why are you
1: shouting Hargreaves? Yes.
0: I <laughs> ah, bet Chase is just mad at this point, saying, I want you to see my plants before you die. And yes. the doctor says, I so hate guided tours. <laughs> Do you and talk Sarah. to the plants, eh, Daniel?
1: Um. I can't say that I do I mean <laughs> looking around, we haven't got any plants in our front room, I think we're not, yeah, um, no, my wife's the one with the green fingers in our family i'm I'm just there to mow the grass and um tidy up, so yeah, <laughs> no, my wife's the green fingered one, yeah, not that, she's like, like, not that she's like not she's like Harrison Chase and you know she hasn't got a green cathedral.
0: does she talk to the plants or <laughs>
1: I've, <laughs> I'm
0: I've just never curious. heard her talking. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just curious. Obviously, <laughs> if people do that. You know, she might. I.
1: She might do. She might do in a in a. You know, when when I'm not looking, and when and when the when the boys are are uh, busy elsewhere.
0: So Scorby leads the doctor Sarah through the grounds, but the doctor gets the better of Scorby and cracks his neck. Yeah, that is that. that looks... is, I hate that bit a wee bit because I hate the. I hate it's the it's
1: the, it's the it's the noise. It's the noise. Yeah. I mean, is that Venusian Aikido, or is that you
0: know? <laughs> I mean, th- I've seen that move done in many films, and that kills somebody with a crack, where they twist mm. the neck like that. Doesn't
1: it, uh, Yeah, I think that isn't it something in the the TV movie that that the master does that to Chang Li. He sort of yes, you know, he
0: twists but I neck. think
1: I think it was edited out because they it was it was sort of seen as being a bit too violent for. I don't know if it's. I don't know if they re if they re edited it back into the into the DVD version, but I seem to remember on the when it was first shown, they they cut that bit out because it was out. the bit with the the snapping of the neck seemed a bit too bit too. I was going to say near the knuckle, but near the neck, yeah. Yeah, he's,
0: he, he, his wife, he, he kills as well.
1: Yes, that's right. Yes, that's on the yeah. as well. Yeah, that... yeah, yeah. It's actually um, Eric Roberts' real wife in in uh, in real life.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So Sarah is lured over a wall, uh, but she's captured again. So the idea was that she was going to go over the wall and contact Sir Colin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I love the bit where they say, two pence to call Sir Colin. <laughs> yes. I wish a phone call was two pence to do. <laughs> 1976, it was two p. to does, call does It does date a bit,
1: doesn't it? Yes. Yeah.
0: And the doctor then peers into the annex because he knows that she's been captured because she's mm. captured again. And he's on the roof and he sees Chase has this monstrous moment. And this this cliffhanger is really shocking. Mm. Where he forces Sarah to put her arm out and wear her arm. And he says, I must know what happens when the crinoid touches human flesh, and the pods we see the pod starting to react. Mm. It's just, oh my God.
1: It, it's it's a brilliant cliffhanger. I, I remember years ago, um, I did a sort of like a quiz at the church I went to and we did a a, what you know um, on a question of sport we did what happened next but instead of sport um, I used that cliffhanger and I I asked Uh one of the teams what happens next in this cliffhanger in fact it was so long ago i think it was on the video and they had to wait until i took out the video <laughs> from the because it was it was it was in the days when they they had three you know six passes were you know shoved over two tapes and so they had to wait until i sort of swapped over the tape to get to find out oh, what happened no. next i don't and i think from memory i don't think they actually i don't think they worked out what um what the what what the how the what happened next i think they all thought that you know the the doctor was going to was gonna um you know teleport Sarah out of there or something they I think they were some of some, some of the people were quite shocked at how violent the, the, the resolution to the yes. hangar is and Tom really gives it a you know gives um uh Scorby a, a real you know pasting um you know yeah. knocking him into the fireplace and then um he just cracked him. his
0: neck and now you see at the start of part four he leaps through the skylight. Mm. Yeah, puts his on, takes his gun, but it's it's fair. Um, and then leaves and then, yeah. hero, but the chronoids infected Kilo. Yeah,
1: and I love the bit where Harrison Chase. Yes. Yeah, it's almost like he's he's not involved at all, and he just he's just stood there watching everything, and then he says, "What do you do for an a encore doctor?" doctor. <laughs> and Tom's got a big smile on his face. He said "I win." I love that bit. Probably, yeah. It's. I don't know if it's if it's that true to the character of the doctor, but again, it's showing Tom's doctor being very protective of Sarah, and you know, doing anything to rescue his best friend. Do anything for her, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And they're locked in. He's locked them in, isn't he? Because I love Mm -hmm. when Chase goes, "Why am I surrounded by idiots?" (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just love Harrison Chase. And um, were you ever on Gallifrey base? Yes. Yeah, I was as well back in the day, and. For a while, I was H Chase. Ah, right. And then Shara's Jack, but I spelt Shara's Jack wrong. <laughs> and then I eventually left because it was getting, as we all know, too negative and
1: did, like... did somebody Did somebody point out that you'd spelt Shara's Jack wrong?
0: Ah, I, I don't think they did. I, I just. Oh really? I just. I don't know if it was. I can't remember why I'd done that. I don't know whether it, I just didn't spell it right or whether somebody had to. The actual spelling, and then I just decided I'll yeah. well, tw- change a letter or something. I can't remember. But yeah, but uh, I've always loved Harrison Chase. He's one of my favourite villains. In doctor yeah. And just these lines why am I surrounded by ideas? <laughs> just... So the doctor hides Sarah in a little sort of cubby hole bit in the gardens, mm. and the doctor goes back to the mansion. But Keeler's changing, and Chase and Hargreaves move him into a cottage. The makeup is terrifying.
1: It's very yeah. It's weird because it it's, it's it's creepy, but it's not it's not like a it, it, yeah. It does make him look really otherworldly, doesn't it? It it's not like you know when when they the, the you know uh, in the the, the primals in Inferno with sort of hair and fur. And in fact, at one point, you do see the crinoid has got sort of hair. I think it's. Fur. I think it's for the um, the one in the Antarctic, you can see a sort of to, a, a tuft of hair,
0: of hair sticking yeah.
1: out of out the top of the, the crinoid's head, which sort of, you know, really in a very subtle, but if you think about it, a quite creepy way of showing how it, that was actually a human being and is now sort of half human being, well, sort of, you know, human being that's been taken over by, by a plant.
0: Poor Keeler as well, though, because he's done exactly what Winlet did in the Antarctic. Mm. He's put his arm right beside the pod. Yes, but in with in his fairness, sleeves rolled up. Yeah. Yes, but in fairness <laughs> to him, on this occasion there was a big fight going on, so he's obviously trying not to get beaten up, and he's yeah, sort of,
1: and sort of distracted. Yes.
0: He's distracted. Mm. I love like this is another moment. I'm going to bring up Hardie all the time. I'm sorry, but I just love him. Where he just sort of accepts it. He sees this green man in front of him. And he's like, right, we've got to get him out of the room, and he just kind of goes, right, come with us. And he just yeah. asks no questions. He just he just yeah. takes
1: everything in his stride. A good butler never never questions anything. Just, just questions sort of Goes master. goes goes on with with what's going on, despite the fact that it's it's you know this person turning into a plant. It just you know he just does as he's told. He's very discreet, very British. Yes, very British. Yes, yeah, very British. Never mind about you know the person's got the you know green skin now. Just you know just get him. This is this is for your own good, and he's quite. Yeah, that's what he does say at one point. I'm sure it's for your own good, Mr. Keeler, and and sort yes. of doesn't want to I, I, is exactly upset, what <laughs> upset Mr. Mister Chase. I they think they, did they Go cut on. out a bit the, towards the end where there's one scene where, oh yeah, it's the scene where Hargreaves goes with the plate of meat yes. and it's a plate yeah. of raw meat to put, and he puts it next to the bed and you see Keeler sort of licking his lips and trying to sort of, you know, not mm-hmm. sort of, and I think they they cut a bit out, or they they sort of faded it out early because I think Philip Pinchcliffe was a bit concerned that it was a bit too bit too scary. And there's a little bit of sort of light music that um, Jeffrey Bergen puts in as as it moves from from Keela sort of struggling on the bed to um, Miss Ducar sat in, in Harrison Chase's study with a, a cigarette a a, a ho- in her mouth on a on a holder and and sort of sat there.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they cut out another bit as well in the Antarctic. Um, they cut out a bit where Winlet's on the bed mm-hmm. and then he hears the plane overhead and apparently the bit that they cut was he tries to get up from the bed and he groans right. like quite in agony Yeah, and then goes back down to the bed but they cut it out again because they thought it was too scary. Yeah, so the Doctor is then recaptured by Scorby mm-hmm. and tied up in the compost room with the compost machine and Sarah sees Hargree visit Keela with the raw meat, which you've obviously just said.
1: Yeah,
0: And it's, again, more violence. Scorby, obviously, because he's just been beaten up about five times by the Doctor and is annoyed, shoves someone onto the, the bins with some welly.
1: He's getting his own back, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Very much. It's quite, yeah, and like we said about John Chalice been sort of cast as as sort of heavies, he's really quite, quite good at that. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know, at one point he pulls the doctor back by his hair. And yes. and again the he the doctor's trying to desperately not show and he says to he says to to Scorby, you're pushing your luck, Scorby. You know, while he's sort of <sighs> obviously, you know,
0: Yeah, I noticed that as well. Quite yeah. ominous, like mm. watch yourself. I yeah. the doctors, yeah. It's Tom's performance is very, very serious in this. He's very moody. Um, and this is the first time we see the composter. Which of course mm. will play a big role coming up. Yes. Quite a gruesome idea again for five thirty mm-hmm. p.m. on a Saturday. Yeah. yeah. The thing I noticed was that Keeler's more alive than Winlet was. Like Winlet got infected and he was literally like out cold mm. most of the time, but Keeler's far more alert.
1: I wonder if it. Yeah, it's sort of. He does sort of talk to Sarah, doesn't he? And he's got a bit more. Mm. He's as he's a bit more aware of what's happening and and.
0: Uh, maybe the temperature <laughs> could
1: be yeah yeah or or a strength of character in that you know maybe Keeler's struggling to, to to you know stay himself rather than become take, rather than being taken over
0: and Hargreaves reaction as well when he gives the meat to Keeler or tries mm. to give the meat it's just again he's just so oh so what's going on but I'm not going to ask questions
1: yeah there's a look of sort of slight disdain on his face, yes. and then he puts the, <laughs> puts the plate down and then sort of quickly leaves.
0: So Chase is called away because Emilia Ducas now at the gates, mm. wanting the money he owes her, because of course, we found out earlier, he never paid her for the paint. No. So Sarah slips into the house, and has a word with Amelia, telling her that they found the pod. And then Chase sets the composter to start in a few minutes. Amelia's outfit when she's visiting him, she's smoking a cigarette on one mm. of those old fashioned cigarette holder things.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I just think that was a, it's Paul Mayer's, isn't it, that created Irish Wild Time? Yes. I yeah. wonder if he watched this story because as soon as I saw it the other day, I thought that's Irish Wild Time has exactly the same sort of outfit, doesn't she? Mm. Just, I wonder if he's based it on Possibly. Her.
1: Possibly, yeah. Yeah.
0: And the doctor, when he sees the machine starting, just goes, "I can't think of anything to say." <laughs> it's really funny. Yes.
1: And then, of course, when Sarah rescues him, you know, he he tells, "Oh, Sarah, I'm so you know, it would have been such a waste."
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah, a,
1: yeah.
0: yeah, that was a dad joke that from Tom that one. Very I much, think. yeah. Uh, so Amelia leaves the house because she's got her money in pounds, mm-hmm. not guineas. Yeah, we're we factory. Thackeray and Dunbar are in a cart car, and she tells him what's happened. But Dunbar decides to go in alone. Mm-hmm. So he's got a bit of conscience now, suddenly.
1: Makes you wonder how did Sir Colin and Dunbar know about Amelia Ducard? But that's beside the point. It's just nice to see her again.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. That's a. <laughs> yeah, pass.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. It doesn't matter. No. So Sierra rescues the Doctor, and Dunbar confronts Chase, ordering them to destroy the creature. But Hargreaves Rossi's in to say it's breaking free. This is another Hargreaves moment where he breaks mm. in and says, it's breaking free, we can't, we can't hold it. What are we going to do? And yeah. Dunbar goes away, and we have the brilliant moment, of course, with, get Dunbar! Yeah. It's, so,
1: it, it gives, yeah, it's that sort of, he's very, very calm and very collected, but just occasionally he loses his rag and that's, you know, why am I surrounded by idiots? And then, yeah, I wonder if Tony Beckley sort of playing him, because, you know, uh, um, Harrison Chase got this wonderful um, uh, stately home, but he doesn't, there are occasions where his his accent sort of slips into sort of slightly uh, sort of maybe possibly cockney. And I wonder if he sort of, you know mm. the idea is that harrison chase is this sort of millionaire but comes from a very poor background and he's sort of he's sort of nouveau riche and and works his way up and and so then occasionally you know this very prim proper very controlled man sort of you know you know just you know sort of reset, re- retracts back to his sort of cockney sort of london roots and get damn bar because it does sound a bit sort of a bit sort of
0: Cockney. Yeah, and, I'd never and really I think noticed, to be honest, but yeah, uh, now you mention it, yeah, he actually does slip.
1: And I think a, a Tony, one of the films that Tony Beckley was in was um, Get Carter, and again, I think he was sort of playing a bit of a, um, a sort of like a, a, a sort of a, a bit of a sort of gangster villain in that as well.
0: So the Doctor and Sierra find the cottage empty, and Dunbar runs into the crinoid. Sarah hears them scream and they go in to investigate and the crinoid rushes towards them for the cliffhanger. The crinoid looks look absolutely brilliant as a, it's the Axon costume painted green. Yes. That yeah. looks great, but this at mm-hmm. this point where we see it as the two man tent thing, it's not quite as impressive. It lumbers towards no. the camera at the end and but it um, sort of
1: wobbles towards the camera, it doesn't wobbles it? Wobbles but but you've camera. got Tom and and and, uh, and Liz sort of really selling it. Oh yeah. I love yeah. I love the fact that Sarah on the way, when they hear Dunbar scream, she pauses and picks up a stick. Yes, she well, does. Like that stick is really gonna help you against a giant, you know, eight foot alien vegetable. But there you go.
0: Take whatever's in your, your yeah. hand when, when you're in that yeah. situation. Mm. Start of part five. Scorby's guards open fire on the crinoid. And the doctor, Sarah, Scorby and the two guards go to the college and barricade it. And this is where we see the crinoid speak. Mm. And says they have got daybreak to deliver the doctor. And I think the at this point is when all the the tentacles come in, and (laughs) Elizabeth Sladen tries to hit it with an axe. (laughs) But but, yeah, yeah.
1: It's John Nathan Turner said uh, to 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 one of the writers said they said, "Oh, there's a there's a tentacle in this." And John Nathan Turner said, "No, we don't do tentacles because we just don't have the technology to do the tentacles." It's not bad. It's not quite as. Rubbery as crawl, but it it's yeah it does it's it does what it's supposed to do.
0: I thought they, uh, they, I, they were all right. I think it was just bad. I thought it was just a. It just looked like you're not convincing me that you're hitting that with the axe.
1: Not really. Not no. really.
0: Um, no. But no, I thought the tentacles are fine.
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah it, it's it's fine for, for what it is.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Thackeray and Ducard return to the world of Bureau, and it's decided to bring in Unit. Mm-hmm. And as dawn breaks, Chase goes outside to photograph the trinoid. Now, this is the scene where um, Sir Sir Colin and Amelia, and she talks about that she's available for any assignment. Sir mm-hmm. Colin, yeah. did she not see yeah. something about what she was doing during the war? Or she something?
1: she manned it? Yes, she manned an attack a- a-cat gun. A- a-cat? No, not attack. That's attack is Star Wars, isn't it? Um, and gun in folk in Folkestone. So you can imagine sort of her sort of like a female version of Dad's Army, which obviously was still being shown at the time. I just um, imagine that. <laughs> and it's sort of quite, quite vocal about Operation Nuthouse. And that's what you should Style call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and it's a shame that she gets sort of written out quite, quite you know, at that point.
0: Yeah, we didn't see her again after that. No, yes. no. It's a shame. Mm. So Scorby makes a bomb to scartle the crinoid. Now this bit was obviously Mary Whitehouse. This is one of the occasions where I think Mary Whitehouse was completely ridiculous, yeah. really, because she she was saying I think her criticism was was showing kids how to make a bomb. But in actual it's, fact, yeah, it's,
1: it's a Molotov cocktail, what they call it. Yeah. That's well, what he, he calls it, isn't it? It's a he Molotov calls
0: it that, cocktail. But he doesn't he doesn't show how he just put all you see is I'm putting like some cotton wool in the, the glass. But that's mm. that's not telling somebody how to make a Molotov cocktail. And it's but I found out that um Actually, in the script, there is they were going to—he was going to say how you make a Molotov cocktail, but they yeah. cut out. So her saying, "Well, they—they they told kids how to make a Molotov cocktail." I think is just nonsense because you don't actually hear him say anything. You do
1: say he does. Does he? He does call it a Molotov cocktail. He calls but, it, yeah. But, but he doesn't I mean,
0: say, "I'm getting the pet." Well, he says he get, he's getting petrol. but Yeah. That's it. Yeah.
1: I suppose because I mean I'm I'm not saying she's right, but you because it's you know it's a milk bottle. It's it's made out of everyday items. This isn't sort mm. of like a a space bomb. It's not like um, you know the sort of you know the bombs that are attached to the Daleks in Destiny of Daleks. It is actually sort of household items. It's a milk bottle, and okay, it's probably water in there rather than paraffin, and and you see him sort of stuffing cotton wool or you know whatever yeah. it is in the top. Um, Yeah, I I watched that as, uh, you know, early in my early 20s. I've never made, I've never gone out to make a Molotov cocktail. No, um, I mean... I, it's never been, inspired, never been inspired to, you know, I, I remember seeing Leela as a kid and I never stabbed anyone. So, you know, I think...
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that was her problem. I mean, some of her criticisms in some of the episodes, like uh, the deadly assassin drowning mm. scene, for example, or the, even the brain with Morbius, I can understand why she was a bit sort of... yeah. Found that too yucky, and I totally agree. Mm. And maybe it's because I've certainly found myself getting older. There is a couple of bits I'll watch in the Hinchcliffe time and go, "Oh dear," you know. I think they maybe did go a bit far there. Although when I watched it as a kid, it never bothered me at all. Yeah.
1: Um, I know as a as a now that I'm, you know now that I've got children, there are certain episodes of Doctor Who that I would probably think twice. I mean, I, I yeah. my kids love Daleks, but we've. I I I'm not sure I'd want them to watch Resurrection Genesis? of the Daleks.
0: Resurrection, um, of course, yeah. Re-
1: possibly Genesis. I don't know. We've, I mean, Planet of the Daleks and and Resur- and, and Remembrance of the Daleks are big favourites. But this, I think, I would probably have to think about. You know, mm-hmm. even though it is, it, well, the, yeah, it's only a PG, um, or, or a U if you watch the D, de- watch the, the, <laughs> vi- the <laughs> video. Um, there are some bits I don't think I don't I think the kids. Would find you know a little bit bit too near the knuckle, yeah. C- certainly, my oldest. I think you know we mentioned that scene in at the beginning of part two where the the crinoid looks into camera and sort of really got sort of you know wide eyed. Yeah, I think he would probably find that a bit scary.
0: Yeah, I just don't agree with um, Mary Whitehouse. though when she like, I think she tried to ban Tom and Jerry because she was paranoid about that kids would try and copy what John Tom and Jerry did, sort of thing. Uh, but I don't agree with that. I, I, I never watched Tom and Jerry, as you say, and thought, oh, I'm going to hit somebody with an iron.
1: Yeah. Uh, Terence Dix said, Mary Whitehouse, there were three things that Mary Whitehouse hated, and it was sex, violence, and Doctor Who.
0: <laughs> I think he was right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the bomb is used. He uses mm-hmm. the bomb so that the Doctor can escape and chase his car, and Sarah and Scorby, meanwhile, enter the mansion and the laboratory, and Hargreaves is asked to bring wood so they can board up the windows, and this is another Hargreaves moment where he's asked to bring in the wood, and he just goes, "Oh, if you say so, sir." He just rolls his eyes and says, "If you say so." He's completely oblivious to what's going on.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think he knows what's going on, but he I, I, he just doesn't feel that he's. It's that sort of stiff British British upper lip. There is a, there is a there is one scene as well when um, Chase says, "Oh, I'm." I'm surrounded by idiots, and Hargreaves, who stood next to 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 Scorby, goes, mm, and then realizes Scorby's <laughs> standing. and so and oh, hang on, <laughs> and here's one idiot standing next to me. I better, I better keep my mouth shut. Yes,
0: this is the scene as well where Sarah stands up to Scorby and saying that mm. you know such a big tough guy you make yourself out to be. Yeah, and he put she puts him in his place. It's probably Sarah's best scene, uh, uh,
1: certainly in this story. Yeah,
0: because I thought uh, yeah, yeah, she's really uh, good in it. I, I mean, Sarah think... Jane is really good, but I think she's, It's. I don't think this is one of Sarah's best stories in that I think she's in the background quite a bit in this story. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that after she's been obviously tortured with the Trinoid and all that, but I don't know, she just seems in the background, I, I noticed, in this story a lot more than others.
1: It's Yeah, it's only that scene where she sort of stands up to, to Scorby, that she's... um you know given any sort of uh, uh, you know agency she's mm-hmm. just really reacting to to a lot of what's going on and following the doctor I mean, there's that, that lovely scene where the, you know she's hiding in the cubby hole after the doctor's rescued her and the doctor's got the pistol in and, and she says yeah but you'd never use it and he goes yeah true but they don't know that and yeah. uh, and also back in part 1 where you know the doctor's told mobley that he's got to Mo- Mobley he's got to you know do the amputation and he just the doctor just says oh you know you've got to help me. but it's actually Sarah Jane that sort of convinces him you know sort of really sort of urgent that she's you know you're the one who's studied medicine you know how to handle a scalpel you can do this and it is a good scene between you know S- Sarah and, and Scorby and it's just a bit at the end where where you know she stands up to him and then after she's gone she sort of goes Oh thank goodness that's over. And you can see the you know relief on, on Liz laden's face.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, that's showing that Sarah's done it and she's been very brave, and now she can just go, Oh, thank goodness for that. That thank goodness that's over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. She always she always gives it 110%. Oh, absolutely. Even when even when you know Sarah's written not necessarily as an idiot, but, you know, sometimes there are times, you know, that, that Sarah Jane does do things and you kind of think, what would you do? That's a little bit our character or not quite so.
0: Like the five doctors where she falls down the, the little hill, but made to believe that it's, yeah. And she totally sells it though, 100% that she's yeah. still doing a lot. Even she said like in interviews, you know, like. What is that all about? But I had to. What could I do? I just had to to sell this situation. Yeah, she, the yeah. Spot,
1: so. And it is. It it's not so much her acting that doesn't convince. It's the it's the the angle that it's that
0: it's short. <laughs> short. Yeah.
1: And earlier on in in Seeds of Doom, when they're in the quarry, you see Tom and Liz galloping down quite a a, a much a much higher steeper um hill than than that thing in the than that that small hillock in the Five Doctors. Yeah. Yeah, galloping, yeah. Do it, doing their own stunts.
0: <laughs> so Chase is attracting the cronoid because he's photographing it. So he's quite completely mad and he's photographing the crinoid. And the doctor returns to the Bureau and warns Fackley and Major Beresford of Unit that the crinoid will make all of Earth vegetation turn hostile. So I loved when he, he jumps over the plant pots to get into the door. He gets mm. out the car I can't remember if he even shuts the door properly and just sort of jumps all over the plants and goes yeah. <laughs> to the front door.
1: Just, yeah. That scene's actually the outside of Centre. television centre. Television center, mm. yeah. 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 I love the, yeah. It's uh, sort of parking in a, a, a no parking spot. It just it's <laughs> yes. that wonderful disregard for authority that all the good doctors have. Yeah.
0: Major for the Unit, though, he's not the Brigadier, is he? He's a very <laughs> Sort of poor imitation of because we couldn't get Nicholas Courtney. Yeah,
1: no, it's a shame. It's a shame that um, Nick Courtney wasn't available to do this, and and also and, the Android, so Android invasion Android as
0: well. Reason. Well, we um, had uh, oh, what was the guy in that one? It was Beresford, yeah. wasn't it? I think. No, this is Beresford. No, this is it's Colonel, it's... Colonel Faraday, Faraday, in, in Faraday Android sorry,
1: invasion, and... played by the guy who played Mother in the Avengers. Uh, yeah, a sort of um, sort of stock um skept- skeptic, um, yeah. military man. Um, but it's soon put in his place. Unfortunately, Sir Collins. You know, Sir Colin knows. I mean, you you do have the sort of the jokey bit about aggressive rhubarb and homicidal gooseberries. But then the doctor, you know, tells them. Oh, there's a there's a. What is yeah, that's the bit where the the doctor goes in and he's sort of shouting at everybody, and the phone rings, and he goes, he's busy, and then slams the phone. Yeah, right he slams
0: now. the door. They, yeah, his phone down. Yeah. Mm
1: again that's probably bits of business that Tom's and Tom and Douglas, Douglas Canfield have thought up and and you know Douglas Canfield's giving Tom is is you know a bit of bit of freedom to do these silly things mm-hmm. but they work because it, it 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 keeps the scene moving the camera's yeah. always moving Tom's always moving you're getting engaged it's interesting. It's, yeah. it's interesting rather than just it being sort of filmed as a as a wide shot that other less um, adventurous directors might might do.
0: And so Chase is on the ground at this point, so he's actually communicating with the crinoid because mm. the crinoid's obviously seen him as like, oh, I could use you. They yeah. actually just uses him as sort of like a. a, a yeah,
1: he does say he's on. He's that, yeah, I don't 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 hurt me. I'm on your side. Yeah.
0: And like any good alien, it sort of just goes well. Okay, mm. I'll use you then. I, I'll, I'll not kill you. I'll I'll use you. Yeah. Um, but Chase is obviously completely possessed now because the next thing is do we see him in his greenhouse talking to the plants, mm-hmm. saying it's it's their error now and Scorby's here and Hargreaves trying to bring him to his senses, but he's on the side of the plants and the plants then attack him. Yeah, this he's he's in his own little world by this point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the well, Sarah say? Yeah, Sarah says he's been gone for years, if you ask me. Because <laughs> he's actually just sat there very still. Again, it's it's Tony Beckley making the decision to be very still mm-hmm. and very and very sinister. And then as someone the, the the way that with on that um platform that it's sort of lit lit from, from below. Yeah. So you do get sort of like a really slightly, deep. slightly sinister gleam in his eye because the light's shining up on him. And no, and then and then you sit you know, as the plants attack Sarah and Scorpion and Hargreaves, and there's, um, you know, you know, you must die, and it's sort of like that sort of really wide-eyed, sort of slightly um, scary, fanatical gleam in his eye as as the others are being, you know, choked by the plants.
0: Yeah, I like when the plants come up from the side, and you then get into the clip that's on the Tom Baker years tape where mm. the doctor and the sergeant and a sergeant Henderson arrive yeah. at the mansion and use a defoliant to rescue them. They, they sprayed mm-hmm. the stuff and... Uh, but Hargreaves, poor Hargreaves is dead. Our yeah. yeah.
1: No yeah. The, and the, doc- the, the faithful butler is no the more. The faithful
0: butler's no more. And the doctor says that they have to move every plant outside but while they're doing that, Chase locks them out and the crinoid for the cliffhires coming over them. So that's the clip that's on the... Yeah. Because uh, I think on the Tom Baker's tape, it was Tom's reaction to that scene was something along the lines of I think this one was called the Crinoid Invasion or Invasion of the Crinoids, mm. and he did. well well, most on the Tommy gears, he, he didn't remember much. <laughs> he doesn't remember much. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting video.
1: But you, yeah. you, you, think maybe it would have helped to have somebody there to sort of just jog his memory and say, right, we will just, you know. But I don't think, I don't think that's what Tom wanted to do. That Tom wanted to just talk and and just be yeah, by himself, rather than having someone saying, you know, the, here we are, it's a clip of the Seat of Doom. What do you remember of it?
0: Um, Chase has another great line with this whole scene because he's, he's, he's he he comes out from his chance and says stop it murderers you'll yeah. pay for this animal fiends yeah so part 6 the final part of the story so Berryford arrives with a unit squad armed with a laser and attacks the cronoid which allows them to find another way into the mansion so they escape
1: mm-hmm.
0: but Beresford then pulls back as the laser has no effect on the cronoid all oh, at this point, I, I found was he just kept saying "fire, fire, yeah. fire, fire" <laughs> ten times. And cheers. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say that laser could
1: have come in handy with um with the scarrison and 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 oh, yeah, lots of other things. Um, <laughs> if if I have one fault with this, it does feel like the sort of the story's slightly running out of steam, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it's almost as if robert bank stewart is 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 sort of struggling to work out how to how to get rid of the the crinoid um and it does it you know it it gets blown up at the end which is sort of a bit of a um bit of a simple perfunctory sort of ending but you know it's it's it 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 doesn't matter because it's you know the action keeps going and and canfield keeps it you know really directed really well keeps the pace going yeah exactly yeah
0: the model shots are great with the crinoid breaking through the house, like breaking through mm. the walls and yep. so on. And Chase at one point says, he looks at the pesticide and he just goes, mm. health. <laughs> it's just, I'll well, kind of, of uh, this guy.
1: You, so, you may have
0: mentioned it once I've mentioned or twice, it once yes. or twice, yeah. <laughs> so the doctor no, Sarah, you're right. He's, he's very good, isn't he? Mm. So the Dr. and Henderson barricade themselves in the mansion lab and Henderson goes to fetch more wood, but Chase knocks him out with a spanner and mm. puts him in the composter.
1: Yeah, I remember watching this. Um, and some friends of mine had, uh, came round, and I, 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 they just sat down, and I think they may they may have started watching it sort of during the the they turned up sort of while I was watching the Antarctic scenes, and you know pointed and laughed at the at the um at the polystyrene snow, but by. By this time by episode six i think we we watched it all and they did say to me oh no the the, the you know the sergeant guy the doctor's going to rescue him isn't he the doctor's going to rescue him because you know he's a good guy and then when it then when you when chase confronts sarah and says the sergeant's in the garden he's oh. in the garden he's part of the garden one of my friends i thought she was going to throw up it's like oh they really they really killed him and the, yeah. sort of the idea of, you know, oh, Doctor Who's this nice, sweet family show, you know, a little bit, you know, for kids and suddenly you know, there's people being
0: composted. Now, Stephen Muffin mm-hmm. wouldn't have done that. He would have cut him, um, like, Clara would have saved him. <laughs>
1: so... Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, he would have come back to life, yes.
0: But, um, Scorby freaks out at this point with what's mm-hmm. happening and Escapes, but he only gets as far as a pond where he's dragged under by the weed. And that's a yeah. horrible death as well. It's yeah. just He had to film that twice because the camera went down the bank. So Mm -hmm. he thought, oh, yeah, I've done that. And it it was, I think he says on the documentary, it was one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And then they said, well, we've got to go again. Uh... (laughs) No.
1: Yeah, here's here's some brandy and some towels. There you go. Dry yourself and we'll go again. We'll go again. But that's a horrible
0: death as well, getting suffocated by the weed in the pond. Yeah.
1: But the scene before he disappears where he's sort of muttering to himself and you... John Chalice plays him as 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 a cat. He's really broken. He's yeah. this tough guy. He, John Chalice is brilliant and conveying this this tough guy is completely out of his depth, and unlike the Doctor and Sarah, he's given up hope. He's like, he does say he goes, you know, he's there. You know, we're as dead as what's Mutton, the point? RIP, you know? What's the point? And again, he doesn't listen to the Doctor. He doesn't. You know, he doesn't think of. He he thinks only of his own own skin, and runs off and and pays it, but you know, gets killed. And I think, yeah, because it is John Chalice and, you know, we know him as Boise, there is a sort of, you know, you do feel a bit of sympathy for him. Yeah, But yeah. it's sort of quite sad that, you know, his world sort of ends because he's completely out of his depth and completely broken.
0: Oh, and he's John broken, Chalice, yeah. He's,
1: he's, he's, it's a really good performance by John Chalice. Where just, he's, he's sort of muttering away to himself. Um, while well, you know, while well, the doctor and Sarah, are, you know, the Sa- Sarah's, you know, got real trust in the doctor, and you know, the the doctor's repairing the the, the radio, and she, you yeah. know, she says, you know, she's sort of trying to keep an eye out, you know, through the through the barricade, and got she's got a smile on her face, but but Scorby's completely given up. It's it's yes. a good metaphor for life, I suppose, isn't it? Don't give up. <laughs>
0: Don't give up. Yeah, I, I I'm with that. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So, looking for Henderson, Sarah then enters the compost room and Chase shuts the door, saying, There's only one use now for humans. He is mm. so dangerous here. I mean, he looks demonic. Yeah. Come in, and he actually comes towards the camera and it cuts to the next scene.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's just, yeah. I...
1: Again, a, possibly a moment that Mary Whitehouse would have, you know, complained about. And I don't know if it's a scene you'd be able to get away with it now because it is violence.
0: No. I think a lot of the stories by a man oh, against a woman, you couldn't do that. There's no. a lot of things, and it's like people going in a composter or something. Mm-hmm. If something like that happened, it would be off. I mean, we don't see, it, obviously, if somebody dying in the no. composter, but I think you would You'd maybe be told rather than seeing even the yeah. composter.
1: <laughs> it, it's the implication, though, isn't it? Because you yeah. see you see Chase putting Sergeant Henderson in the composter and you see him switching on. But then you think, oh, well, the, you know, it, it's going to take a while and the doctor will rescue him. And then the next time you see it, the machine's been switched off and then suddenly, you, re- you know, seriously they I mean, obviously,
0: they, 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 you don't see the blood. I mean, obviously, if it was absolutely no. real, I mean, that's a family programme. I mean, at mm. least they didn't do that. So blood on the... I think Mary Whitehouse would have had a heart attack if that. Had happened. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's gruesome stuff. Mm. So the doctor contacts his Beryford with a radio and says in about 15 minutes the crinoid will germinate and eject hundreds of embryo pods. So they've got 15 minutes to solve this. And he advises a low-level attack by aircraft with high explosives.
1: Why didn't he do that
0: before? Well, that's one criticism I've heard about <laughs> this story. That, you know, if he knew that the first one was blown up, why yes, Yeah. you see, why didn't he just yeah. blow this? <laughs> but to be fair, he did want um the army raid the place didn't they and mm-hmm. sort of refused and
1: yeah, that's true yes he said i can't mount a, you know um without you know proper authorization
0: i love the story though so i'm not really too bothered on this no it's just a we just get up a a
1: yeah sorry i'm being a bit nitpicky there
0: no, no no it's usually me that's doing it on these i'm finding <laughs> so chase ties here up and puts her now in the composter and switches it on and this whole bit is gruesome. Well, it's implied to be very gruesome. Mm. The doctor bursts in, gets her out, but Chase switches the machine back on and lunges at the doctor. I mean, he absolutely—he's like a demon. He just yeah. right at him over, and then he—the doctor's able to climb out. But despite his best efforts, Chase is shredded by the machine.
1: And Mary the scream that he gives is really—oh
0: my god! Yeah. yeah, Mary Whitehouse must have been in hives for this one. She must have watched <laughs> that and dropped her tea. I mean, she's oh my had god. a
1: bad case of the vapors. But it's it's, it's interesting yeah but it's interesting the doctor so I tried to I tried to stop him I tried to save him unusual for the fourth doctor I yeah. don't know it it, it sort of com- implies a bit of sort of sympathy that he even even after all that, that chase had done the doctor would 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 try and save him as opposed to you know just I mean if you know Patrick trout's doctor would just sort of you know just let him, let him get on with it and get get composted. <laughs> Um, it's quite yeah, it's quite an interesting interesting take on that. That even after all that he's done, the doctor's still trying to you know he did try and save him,
0: and Sarah's even trying to get you can see her because even though she's got a hand tied, she's trying to reach yes. up and get the switch, but she cannot. Yeah, reach it.
1: no, no,
0: because I so they don't want a guy to get shredded by the machine, however bad man yeah. Is, you know. Yeah, yeah. So Chase is now dead. He's been. Mm-hmm. He's now in the garden. Mm-hmm. And it's what he would have wanted. It's almost like a poetic death for him, really. It is, yeah. It's a bit like there's a death in All the Fools and Horses where there's a road sweeper, isn't it? And he gets swept up in a street sort of cleaning machine thing. The, the ashes go into the, the oh, yes. cleaning machine. Yes. And the right. boy yeah. says it's like a bike mm. and burial. It's almost like yeah. that for Chase, really. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was worried then, when, but then you said mentioned about the ashes. Oh yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> what are you, you know, talking about? Body being swept up into the. No, anyway, yeah, no, I remember, I remember the one you mean now. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So the doctor to get themselves out. I thought this was a bit convenient, being right beside the door. But there's a steam system right beside the door, and he gets one of the steam from the pipe and mm-hmm. blasts away through to get through the vines and escape. And they get in the grounds, yeah. and the plane bombs the crinoid. And that's a, as I said earlier, a really good model shot because the debris just flies into the camera mm-hmm. and the music, <coughs> the music in this. Just as a side thing, um, mm-hmm. I think I prefer Jeffrey Burden's Terra Zygon's if I had to pick between the two. But it's another great music score by. Him. I think it's they Geoffrey sound
1: Burden's they Jeffrey yeah, Bergen, yeah. They, Burgen, they yeah. sound they sound very similar, um, but because they're not at this point, it's 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 Dudley Simpson or. Or nobody else, um, and I don't know. If there's a I don't know if it's an urban myth that Douglas Canfield wouldn't use Douglas Dudley Simpson because they had a falling out, or I I, I heard one rumor that it that Douglas Canfield didn't want to use Doug, Douglas uh, use Dudley Simpson because he was do he he wanted to give somebody else a try, and he was sort of Dudley Simpson was doing it all, and. Just wanted something a bit. Of, I don't know. I don't know if the how, yeah, how true that is. I,
0: there was a story, wasn't there, that, that there was some sort of falling out, maybe, or something, or maybe it. Uh, yeah, it's quite.
1: None of done, uh, uh, Douglas Canfield's stories use. He he didn't use um, Dudley Simpson for any of his stories. I don't think he might no, he might have. Did he use him for the the Crusade? I don't know, but I Possibly, mean, I can't, I can't remember. Stories like the Web of Fear and um, Inferno use sort of stock music. And mm-hmm. then as as I said for for Terror of the Zygons and for this story, he uses Jeffrey Birkin, who's quite um quite an accomplished um musician I understand, or composer, and went on, I think he did Brideshead Revisited and, and
0: yeah, big, well, big do productions like, like things, that. Yeah. Mm. I do like his scores though. They're, they're different. Uh, I do think like it's it's like a criticism of the, the modern series where I don't think it's a bad thing where every if every now and then you've got a different sort of uh voice for the music. Yeah. Although I love Dudley Simpson, obviously. We all love him. His mm-hmm. scores are fantastic, but I don't think it's a bad thing, having every now and then a different voice. Somebody in...
1: different. Just a different, yeah, just a little bit of different, um Yeah, sometimes it, it does, so, certainly towards the end, it sort of does sound a little bit samey. I mean, they they're oh no. could, but you could say that about, you could say that about a lot of Doctor Who, um composers, Murray yeah. Gold, yeah. um, and the guys from the radiophonic workshop. I mean, if you listen to Paddy Kingsland's um stuff that he does for Legopolis and Castro and also it is uh, and and he also did the music for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There's still so a very sort of distinctive sort of style to his music that's yeah. quite sort of a bit a little bit sort of synthesized rocky guitar sort of style. Which is, you know, I like it.
0: So the crinoids now be destroyed, or unless you've listen to the Big Finish audio. There's a Big Finish audio where there's, something happens. <laughs> but we'll not go into that. Paul McGann audio is out there. But is it uh,
1: called House or something? It's called
0: House. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, or it's one of the one ones he did with Sheridan Smith. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think it's one of the... It, it, I mean, it's still a good story, but I don't think it's one of the better ones. There's a lot better ones, I think, than that. But yeah, something... That, the Chronoid isn't totally dead, but for the purposes of this it's dead
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's been destroyed and so after their ordeal the doctor and sarah decide to take a holiday yeah right back in antarctica as he forgot to cancel the coordinates now i don't i this is the one bit of the, the story that i hate absolutely hate this but where they have like this it reminds me of the end of um an original series the star trek episode where they have like the, the little joke at the end and everyone goes mm, and
1: everyone's <laughs> laughing yes
0: yeah. uh, what was it she says um were we here before, or are, or, or we, yet to come are we
1: yet to come? And they I both they say that camping. line together, don't they? Yes, and they're I'm laughing. I'm just like, oh, God,
0: What's that about? <laughs> uh, but
1: just... maybe it would have been nice to end there's because the, the, there's the scene before with Sir Colin and yeah. um, the doctor. He says to the doctor, "Oh, you, you're um, the the Royal Society want to interview you." And 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 the doctor says, "Oh, oh no, yeah. I'm I'm completely booked for the next two centuries or something." and then he said yeah, then they offer him a trip about. in the tardis he said oh i'd be delighted but i believe my wife is expecting me home for tea
0: and that's the point nice where smile it and, Yeah, in, doesn't it it's, it I'm,
1: is and it would have been a nice way to end I, I i i'm yeah i know what you mean it is a bit cheesy that last scene um and let's be honest after after Two minutes standing in a in a in a swimsuit in the Antarctic, <laughs> you would not be standing around going, "Are we here before or are we yet to come?" You'd be back in that Tardis because you're going to get frostbite. Yeah, um, <laughs> yes. But it, I I don't know whether they put it in because it was the last story of the season. It was just a nice sort of silly way to end the season. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah.
1: But that's the that that scene. Apparently, was when they filmed that scene. that's when that that's the original Tardis prop. Or one yeah. of the original TARDIS props and it fell on top of them. They went, they were sort of but they were filming it and it and it fell. And that's why right. for the next yeah, next right. season they got the new the new TARDIS
0: prop. Yeah, it fell on Elizabeth Sladen, I think.
1: Mm.
0: When they were when filming the scene. So that's the seeds of doom. Yeah. Um another couple of wee bits and bobs I, I found out uh, is in my research was that originally the doctor was going to throw Chase in it the crusher. Apparently, oh. the first version of the script, which would have been, I'm assuming it was vetoed immediately <laughs> because
1: yeah, that, that yeah, that would have been very troublesome if they they'd gone ahead with that. Um, I wonder. I, I sometimes wonder. I mean, Philip Hinchcliffe was a very responsible director, a uh, producer, so yeah. I think he would have that. That would have been. I know that there's a quote that that Robert Holmes liked to uh, as when you know, he, he said, "Oh no, I quite like scaring the buggers to death," meaning meaning mm-hmm. the kids watching it. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think Philip Pinch. I don't think he, he was irresponsible. And I, no. so, yeah, I think I can understand why he, yeah, he would, yeah, the idea of the Doctor deliberately causing the death of the villain, you know. Yeah, I mean, it,
0: he, you could argue that in The Towns of Cheyenne sho- he shoves Magnus Greel into the... He, that's <laughs> he, yeah, he does, doesn't he? But, um, I don't know. It, for some But they are p-
1: fighting at the time, aren't they? Um they're sort of having It does seem
0: it just yeah. shoves it's a dummy you can tell, unfortunately, mm. but he shoves them into this. But with this, I think it would be more graphic because it's something that we know a crusher. I think in the towns went to yeah. you could perhaps get away with it because it's this sort of alien this, he could Yeah. Take.
1: Yeah. But and this- also, you know, Magnus Greel is less sort of human I mean he, he is a human, but he's he's portrayed as being a bit alien, a bit grotesque. Whereas, yeah. you know. Apart from the wide collars and the flares, there's nothing really wrong with Harrison Chase. <laughs> uh,
0: there was also a couple of things changing in rehearsal. Um, Scorby was going to slap the Doctor. So we saw him do everything else. We saw him shove him into bins and everything. Mm-hmm. But apparently mm-hmm. he was going to slap the Doctor at one point. The Doctor was also going to drink the Rescue Party's whiskey. But they right. took that out.
1: And, um, much to Tom's annoyance, I imagine.
0: <laughs> much to Tom's annoyance. And then, as we said earlier about the... He was actually going to say, Scorby, how to make the Molotov cocktail. Mm. And Elizabeth Sladen announced at this time that she wanted to leave Doctor Who because she had to turn down a movie. I don't know what that movie was, but...
1: Oh, I didn't... Oh, this was, okay. This was around
0: the time where she, she said, I want to leave, and mm. so they got her to leave two stories into the yeah. next season.
1: It's on... Um one of the behind the sofas uh, for series 12, season 12, that he, Tom said to Philip Hinchcliffe that the reason she, he'd heard, he'd learned that, that the reason Liz left was because, no, I think it's Philip Hinchcliffe who says that, that he didn't realise, the reason why she left was she wanted to leave of her own accord. And oh. she was worried that Philip Hinchcliffe would get her own, would get his own character and and replace her very soon. So she decided she was going to okay. preempt him, and so no, I'm no, I'm leaving. And he said he couldn't believe that because you know he thought she was wonderful. Why would he want her to leave? I think he was quite shocked by the fact that he she said that. that you know, he found out later that she wanted to leave because she thought he was going to he was going to give her the sack and get somebody else that you know that he cast. Yeah. So I, you know, because some some producers and directors they do like their own their own actors. But I, I mean, you know, Philip Hinchcliffe is is so on the ball. He know he, you know, he knows that he's got a winning formula with 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 Tom and Liz. So yeah. yeah, I can't imagine he would he would ever consider, you know, replacing her. I mean he cast Louise Jameson, so you know, we can't complain because we got another first class actress. Absolutely. Um, um, and uh, I know that he, you know, she and Tom didn't always get on, but um Certainly, I've, i as a kid, I've got memories of Sarah Jane, but I think the first companion I, I sort of really remember or notice or noticed was Leela. You know, as a four-year-old, you, you can't not notice a, you know, a girl in a, in a, in a, you know, leather leotard following the doctor. <laughs> but um, one for the
0: dads, go. as they said at the time. One for the, the dads. dads. Yes,
1: and now I am a dad. And there you are, a <laughs> dad. <laughs> so but, but
0: then, yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> Oh no, no no problem so final thoughts on the seeds of doom we both love it don't we
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's it's very difficult not to repeat ourselves and say how wonderful we think it is i mean it it's it it, it is a shame that it's the last episode directed by douglas canfield because he yeah. was so good a director um and i i'd love i'd I don't know because he did lots of other things. He did a, a version of Bojhest in in the in the nineteen eighties, which is part of the classic serials that um, Barry Letts did. Um, but I mean, if you watch all his his Doctor Who's, they are so well directed. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think
0: it was his wife. Um, I think he was finding it harder and harder. Yeah, he had a
1: heart. He had a heart problem, didn't he? He had a heart problem, and, and she she wanted to sort of him to take it easy.
0: Um, uh, yeah, apparently what he did though was he, they passed a church or a chapel somewhere or something, mm-hmm. and his wife was saying, "Look, you need to give up Doctor Who. You can You just can't do it anymore." And mm-hmm. apparently he went into the church, went to the altar, and said, "Right, I'm not going to do any more Doctor Who's." And he stuck by his, what, and Never done um, it on.
1: He did do a Blake Seven though.
0: They he do a did, Blake he Seven was, after this. He,
1: he did one episode, one or two episodes from the first series, um, and again. Uh, I think it's. Did he do two, or did he just do the one? The one that I know he did, which is called Jewel, um, is a is again expertly directed um, and very well cast. Um, and I know you said you don't really like it, but if you were to watch one episode of Blake Seven, <laughs> you couldn't go wrong Mute. with that one. You'd be yeah, it's a really good story. It's and a very it. simple story. Um, and but and uh, yeah, that that first series of Blake Seven. They've Got such a minuscule budget, but it's a really well written story. It's a, it's very well, those first eight, eight or nine episodes are really, really well, really, really good. Um, I know but, about
0: this Maximum Power, isn't it? A maximum Power mm-hmm. podcast that, yes, um, that everyone's and it's not been on for a year or something. I keep reading on that it's been a long time waiting for the next series to come on or something. I think they're doing series B now, they, or the sec, yeah, they,
1: they're showing that they're, they're doing the podcast for series B now, okay. Um, and also there's a, a guy on um, Twitter called Making... Uh, who's Twitter uh, handle is, and, you know, has done quite a lot of um, production behind the scenes and production stories and a production oh, okay. diary. It's really, really good. So well-researched and, and I've learned new stuff. And, um, yeah, anyone who, who's into Blake 7 should follow him as well.
0: I remember it used to always be on... Because when I, I watched a lot of Tom's stories on UK Gold... Mm-hmm. when it was on in the 90s, and I think Blake 7 was on before it, so I think it was about 10 in the morning, it would be Blake 7 to 11, and then the Doctor Who story would be on, I think, from 11 onwards, I think, right. from my yeah. memory. Because yeah. I remember hearing the theme tune all the time and thinking, oh, come on, start, I want to see what the story <laughs> is. Um, but, yeah, I, I know that, as I said earlier, the Doctor Who and Blake 7 sort of fans sort of intermingle, uh, because it's just like a one of these things where a lot of Doctor Who fans also watch Blake 7.
1: Yeah, there is the story, and I don't know how true it is, about Gareth Thomas, who played Blake, said they were filming one day in a quarry, um, and there was noise, and they were trying to film fil- film this scene, and they couldn't because there was all this noise. And so they sent a production runner over the hill in this quarry, um, and the, the production guy came back and said, oh, it's all right, they're filming Doctor Who on the other side of the quarry. And I'd, <laughs> I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to think it was true, but I don't know if it was. And then uh, there's also they they said about how it would have been nice to have had a scene in one story where Blake's at one end of the corridor and the doctor's at the other end of the corridor and they just walk past each other.
0: Yeah, that would have been nice. It would yeah. have been
1: fun. Yeah, <laughs> I, and also the Daleks were supposed to be in the last episode of the second series of Blake Seven, because um, of course Terry Nation created of Blake Seven created the Daleks, but. David Maloney and and Chris Boucher said, nah, we're not having that.
0: Uh, Which is a shame,
1: really. But there we go.
0: One last thing I found out, which is a lovely wee story, is that apparently driving to the location on this story, Tom Baker asked the coach driver to stop at a house. And so he went into the house with Elizabeth Sladen, and they watched an episode of The Android Invasion Mm -hmm. so that Elizabeth could discuss it with her father later on. So they actually stopped the bus and said, look, we need to see this episode tonight. And yeah. stopped at somebody's house, which is. Quite... Mm. Can you imagine if you're a kid in that house.
1: I... That would have been just yeah. That you know, imagine opening the door, and there's Tom Baker standing, Tom Baker and Elizabeth Slayton standing there, and oh, do you mind if we come in and watch Doctor Who? It's like, ah, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, even now, if Jodie Whittaker knocked on the door, or you know, if David Tennant, you know, next year walks knocks on our door. I know yeah. my wife would be very happy if David Tennant knocked
0: on the door <laughs> on our front
1: door. Um, I think that would be
0: as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have been oh, just amazing. It's yeah. I it's wonder they nobody's ever sort of tracked down the the family. I'm
0: because sure somebody has.
1: Yeah, somebody. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they've probably say, been interviewed by Doctor Who magazine, or I would be surprised if they've not. Yeah, um, mm. I love this this story. It's it's very violent, mm-hmm. but it's. Yeah, and it's different, it's different, a different sort of tone, I think, to the others in the season because of this, Tom's performance is, but yeah, I love it.
1: Uh, Yeah, a lot of season 13, Tom's very serious and, um, you know, this story and also um, Pyramids of Mars, he uses that seriousness to convey how that that sort of very still sort of, you know, alien detachment to, 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 reinforce the audience how serious the situation is how desperate you know you know he says about you know the crinoid is going we'll will wipe out every living animal on the on the planet and then in pyramids of mars with the idea of sutek this, this you know he's an all-powerful alien god who's you know yeah well you know if, if you don't if we don't stop him he'll destroy the world so tom's tom really is that his his he he really sells that seriousness of of the situation in stories like like this one and and pyramids of mars and um and i you know and and also later and stories like genesis of the daleks as well
0: genesis you know yes, these
1: yes. these early stories um there there are there are occasional bits of silliness there are occasional bits of comedy and and fun bits um but then later on when you know season 17 when he's Supposed to be sort of quite jokey and larky. He can still rein it in and give, you know, give a really good
0: performance. I'm finding as I get older that I'm preferring. I used to be totally. I think season 13 is still my favourite Doctor Who season, Mm. but I've actually switched really from liking early Tom to now appreciating more later Tom. Yeah, which is interesting. I think again, maybe it's just getting older and appreciating the jokes. (laughs) Like (laughs) we don't need maybe the. Stories to always be so serious because they are pretty serious in the yeah cliff time but yeah uh, but yeah
1: I think apart from underworld i I could quite happily easily watch any Tom <laughs> Tom story, and even underworld you know it's um it's got a good part one it's got a good part one, but Tom looks a bit bored, and <laughs> if you're if your lead actor looks a bit bored then yeah you're, you're doing something wrong, but there we are but he doesn't look bored in this. He looks like he's having a really good time and he gives a really good performance. And, you know, I know Elizabeth Sladen in her autobiography said about how wonderful it was working with Dougie Canfield and, and obviously the three of them, you know, and the cast gel really well together. And with the possible exception of Major Beresford, I don't think there's a a bad performance in it. And, 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 you know, We've said about Tony Beckley, we've said about John Chalice, but even, you know, the smaller characters like the guy who plays Dunbar and um, Mark Jones, who plays Keela. And, of course, Sylvia Coleridge, who plays Amelia Ducar. They're really, really interesting characters, really interestingly played. Um, uh, yeah, I just yeah, just absolutely love this story.
0: What would you say is your stick-out moment in this story?
1: I think that part, part three cliffhanger where it's every you know that the the crinoid the the pod is starting to you've got a little bit it's sort of like greens sort or of, sort of starting to sort of twitch and open you've got sarah's arm being held down by 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 um by the clamps and and you've got Keela going. No, you can't do this. It's it's inhuman. Mm-hmm. And 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 Harrison Chase, sort of, you know, almost with his hands clutching like a like a Bond villain. I must know what happens when the crinoid touches human flesh. And the doctor, you know, sort of almost like he's stuck up there, and he, he doesn't know what to do. How is he going to help? Sarah? How is he going to rescue Sarah? It's such it, and it's the music, the direction, the performances. It's one of the best cliffhangers ever in Doctor Who. So that's the. I think that would be that my my standout moment.
0: Well, for the second uh, one that I've in a row that I've recorded, I'd said exactly the same thing. So <laughs> a different moment. I think um, another great moment is and He's Green Cathedral just playing the music and he's completely just lost in his own little yeah. world. Uh, I just think he's one of the best villains in Doctor Who. I, mm-hmm. I just I just love his performance and. Yeah, I don't think there's really been anyone like him, really. It's just childlike, innocent. It, it, it's to... a
1: very, yeah, it's a very um distinct performance and a very distinct character. I don't think, like you say, I, is this a, almost the, the closest to a Bond villain that you get in Doctor Who? Also, like the, maybe... Quite a few
0: fans argue yeah. that this is a story. It's the closest you get to a, a Doctor Who because of the violence and, the, mm-hmm. and so on. But uh, yeah, possibly. He's just got these gloves it I just just love these performance.
1: Yeah. No, it, it is one of the great performances. Um, And again, we've mentioned about John Chalice as well, how yeah. Scorby's, a, you know, a real nasty character. And again, you don't get... <laughs> Sidekicks in Doctor Who tend to be a little bit, dare I say, camp and a little bit ineffectual. I mean, yeah. If you look at Packer in, in The Invasion and... Um, Milton Milton Johns's character in The oh, Enemy Jones, of the yeah. World um, is it Benwick? Benwick yep. um, so very sort of um, sinister um, but also slightly camp as well whereas you know <clears throat> Scorby's played very much as you can imagine him as a sort of like a, an East End gangster that's been seconded by this <laughs> mad millionaire and you know, he's sort of, he, he's getting, well, he does say that. And then, you know, in, in the, when he's confronting the doctor, he, cha- you know, chase pays well. And when it comes to money, when it comes to money, and he, and I, he, even... he and I are the same religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's quite a grown up concept for for doctor where normally villains are just, they don't really have that motivation. You know, it's just power and, you know, wanting to take over the universe, but here, it's, it's, it's money and greed and, and flowers, you know, as Sarah Jane says, <laughs> I've heard of flower power, but this is ridiculous.
0: Oh, well, thanks very much. I enjoyed that looking over the, the seeds of doom. Uh, Thank you, where can, where can folk find you on Twitter or elsewhere?
1: Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Daniel Knight 73. Um, and um, I'm, I've done a few podcasts. I've done a couple of um, hamster podcasts. Um, and you and I did the um, Trap One podcast last year on the, the book of the Android. Oh, and Androids no, of Tara. Androids of Tara. Yeah. Of
0: Tara yeah. And um, we've also got uh, Planet of Evil coming up soon, you know I mean? we? We have, and yes. Joe,
1: which... With the two of us and Joe and, and Lucy. Lucy, and Lucy, yeah. Lucy
0: McCall, I'm looking yeah. forward
1: to that. Yeah. Because again, at, at season 13, it's it's one of my favorite stories. Yeah.
0: Yes, I heart if you're listening, it's not the planet of wretched evil, <laughs> but uh, <it's> that's <laughs> Well, thank you very much for, for your time. Thanks very much. Um, thanks, Dave. Yeah. And as I say, uh, what I'll do is um, future ones, I'll, if you're up for doing another one in the future, yeah. then I'll, I'll keep you in the loop.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, would love to. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
0: So thanks again and until uh, next time.
1: Until next time, Dave. Yeah, take care.